0: An emerging need for the future of manufacturing is application of biology. As a result, the Defense Department has issued a strategy for biomanufacturing. To find out more about what biomanufacturing is and why it matters to national security, the Federal Drive turned to the Principal Director for Biotechnology in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, Kate Sixth. And let's start with the beginning, biomanufacturing. It doesn't mean like germs making new germs, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But the germs are reproducing so those bacteria are reproducing in there
0: well what is it
1: biomanufacturing that's kind of a new term where we're putting together some words which happens a lot in biology we like to make up new terms and i think this is a great one here so biomanufacturing is really just using biological mechanisms so it doesn't have to be germs it doesn't have to be microbes but these biological mechanisms are being used in manufacturing and it's a rapidly maturing technology it's actually been around for years
0: now, I've seen biomanufacturing used in the application of biomedical products, such as tissue regeneration that can be grown in a lab, you know, eye, corneas, and that kind of thing. Does it extend beyond that at this point?
1: Absolutely. Actually, it was around before that when we were making beer and wine. Biomanufacturing was fermentation to make that, and also before, the primary way that we made antibiotics was by fermentation, so that was also a type of biomanufacturing. But today, what we're really looking at for biomanufacturing, especially looking at the bioeconomy and the growing needs of the United States, are things like making paints, fuels, and a variety of other chemicals and compounds that can change our whole approach to how we do industrial manufacturing.
0: And what is the purpose of it? Why do we need it? Because paint and fuel have been great, you know, for a couple of hundred years until now.
1: Yeah, and they still are. Uh, but as we've seen uh, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have real supply chain challenges. And this allows us another source of these materials that doesn't use traditional synthesis mechanisms. And also, while we're standing at biomanufacturing in the United States, that allows us to make those compounds here as opposed to overseas, where they've been made for many decades now.
0: And just to help us picture this, tell us how biology would be used to make something like a paint. And we know that paint has lots of military applications.
1: Yes, it's actually pretty cool, the mechanisms that we use for this. So in essence, at its basics, either the microbe itself or things made by a microbe, and a microbe would be a bacterium, a fungus, algae, a variety of different hosts, And these are engineered in a way that we put in new enzymes and new pathways into them so that they actually work as a little miniature factory. And then we grow lots of them and give them lots of sugar. And then on the back end, they produce compounds that are like xylenes and ethanols and a variety of different chemicals that then we can piece together and make into compounds we need.
0: And is the bioengineering strategy, and we'll get into the elements of the strategy itself, but is the strategy a way of addressing supply chain potential interruptions? Is that the primary purpose here?
1: It's one of the primary purposes, yes. So what we're really looking to do in this strategy is actually support a broader domestic biomanufacturing ecosystem. And and we want that to be self-sustaining so that once that gets up and running, it can run on its own. And we want to mitigate the risk of losing newfound capabilities that DOD adopts over time and prevent new supply chain vulnerabilities. Supply chain falls into it. So do logistics. So do just novel materials, things we've never seen before.
0: And how would you characterize the maturity of the industry? For example, you know, a paint factory, just like a cheese factory, can turn out tremendous volumes. And you see the cans being filled and assembly lines and hundreds of gallons pouring out every second. Where does bioengineering and biomanufacturing stand in relation to the ability to scale to the kinds of volumes needed at the industrial level?
1: you actually bring up a really good point that we've got paints and cheeses, and that really, it varies over what you're making and how mature the industry is, but we actually can make synthetic cheese also with biology. So that's another means, but also paint. So uh, each of those industries are different in their maturity. But what we find primarily that we're lacking worldwide is a capacity to be able to take those things that we're making in the lab and scale them up to see how do they work for cheese? How good does it taste for paint? How well does it spread? We need to scale that up. And then once we know that we've got a good product at a prototype size, then we need to make a lot of it. And that capacity worldwide just doesn't exist.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Kate Sixt. She is Principal Director for Biotechnology in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering. And let's get into the DOD's biomanufacturing strategy. What does it aim to do and what are the principal elements of it?
1: What we're looking to do with the DOD biomanufacturing strategy is really to support a self-sustaining domestic biomanufacturing ecosystem. And we have three principles that are guiding us in this strategy. First, we're looking to establish transition partners for early-stage innovations. And that means taking those lab discoveries and moving them forward into a prototype so that we can see how they actually function and will actually enable the military. Second, we're also looking to develop biomanufacturing through innovations in practice and application. And what that entails is both developing new things that we make by biomanufacturing, but also the actual science, the research, the technology that goes into biomanufacturing. This is a nascent industry, and so there's a lot of work that has to be done on just how we make things through biology and how we scale them. And lastly, what we need to do is we need to map the domestic biomanufacturing ecosystem. And what that entails is getting metrics and measurements and methodologies in place to be able to understand what this biomanufacturing ecosystem looks like and how it's changing over time. And that's really going to help us as we invest to identify and track our implementation of the strategy and refine it as we go in time.
0: Do you envision then, say, grants for development of these types of technologies from maybe DARPA or other parts of DOD?
1: DoD has been supporting biomanufacturing actually for many years in smaller scale, and at this point, what we have is a much larger investment that we're making of $1.2 billion over the next five years in biomanufacturing, and that's really going to support us as we foray into, into this world of this ecosystem of building things by biology.
0: Is there any tie-in between biomanufacturing and nanotechnology? Because doesn't that use molecular-level structures to develop more molecular-sized things?
1: Absolutely. I think that biomanufacturing has great potential for making things that would overlap with nanotechnology. And when we talk about the types of innovations that we can do and that we'd like to see is we'd like to make new things by biology that you've never seen made any other way that didn't exist before that.
0: It seems like biomanufacturing has a basic lane in the process industries, where the output is continuously processed. That is to say, not in discrete manufacturing, like parts. Fair to say?
1: It could be in both. It could also be in parts as well, because biomanufacturing can make pieces that go into uh, an entire system or an entire whole. Just in the example we used of paints, what we're looking at is different chemicals that go into making up paints. So maybe not the final paint itself.
0: Right. So you could almost envision maybe, well, if it could make the paint itself, there could be a paint factory, so to speak, aboard a ship, and then it would be easy to do that constant painting maintenance that's required.
1: Absolutely. That's one of the principles of our strategy is actually that far forward logistics, moving things farther forward so that we can use them at point of need. We can make them and use them there. That's it.
0: And the strategy is distributed how and when and whose hands is it in now?
1: It's in the hands of the public. So the strategy was released on March 22nd. And so it's publicly available and people can read it and understand where DOD is looking to invest in biomanufacturing and what we're interested in doing.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration came to morgan state in 2010 from the university of wisconsin where he was chancellor of both the university of wisconsin colleges and the university of wisconsin extension before that he held numerous other administrative posts in academia including vice president for the university of outreach associate provost at auburn university and um, associate provost of rutgers and when we were talking earlier too you had just mentioned that you had a um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you.
2: It's not in um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama
3: administration. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact.
2: You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the US. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all,
3: I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. Uh, I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by uh, the white landowners, and so the um, owner of the property a white woman would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in and she would bring look and life magazines. My mom uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of look and life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in look and life magazines which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace
2: man, hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that, and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama
3: environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was, but my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential, and they didn't realize it, would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never, ever about bringing
2: that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities uh, that you could do other things perhaps at um, larger organizations but you're where you want to be on purpose by design for the kinds of reasons you just talked about that it's it's fulfilling but can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me and